This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to this news podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. He's joined by Forrest Walker at Do Not on Twitter. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm pretty good. Have you seen the Hobbs and Shop trailer? Uh, no, it just came out. Uh, I've heard it's very long, though, so uh, that should be fun. Yeah, as most Fast and Furious trailers are. Like, <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. Like, normally, like after I watch a Fast and Furious trailer, I'm like really hyped. They're starting to bend the constructs of reality a little bit too much for me now <laughs> like it's starting to get a little out of hand uh so the the, the all the stuff with uh submarines and ice no, last no, time around wasn't the, enough the, 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 that, that's all good like i i can see that i can see that happening but but the whole like the, i think i think there's a part in this trailer where the rock brings down a helicopter like by himself if i'm not like i think he, he he so what he does is he gets a rope and he uses it as like a pulley, and he brings down this helicopter. Like, and I'm just like, no, okay, guys, guys. Like, I'm I'm okay with the flying cars. I'm okay with the submarine, but but you can't tell me the Rock can bring down this helicopter. Like, like we, we mean, gotta we gotta relax here. He did a uh, double tap a drone one time, uh, and also there was that a, was great. There was a 35 that. mile long runway in uh, in Furious Six, so I'm willing to accept whatever they give me at this point. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not gonna fight back. I'm suspending my disbelief no matter what. Maybe maybe that train was going really slow. Everybody says that that <laughs> that, that, that that runway was like really really long. I'm just like maybe maybe we overestimated how fast they were going. Maybe they were going like 35. <laughs> the airplane was in no hurry to take off. Yeah, like, like <laughs> maybe there was a speed limit. Like maybe there was like you know like that that, that was a big plane. Can't imagine it was going too fast. <laughs> yeah, because bigger planes need less speed to get in the air, right? Yeah, I mean that, that, that's how, that's what I've been told. That's what I've been told. But yeah, I, I really bummed out. Really, bu- like okay, so I I'm I'm a big fan how they're doing this whole Fast and Furious universe thing. Like I'm in. Like you you've you've already got me in. With that first, that first tr- teaser for Hobbs and Shaw, I, I loved it. This one, I'm just like, all right, guys, like, like, like we we, we got to stay grounded in reality a little bit, just a little bit. Like you you don't have to go overboard. Like like we don't have to go back to the streets of Los Angeles and and go and go street racing here. Like we can just go just just go back to like Fast Five. Like you know like we're we're dragging a bank vault across Rio. Like that, that that's a little bit more realistic for me for me. <laughs> I mean. I suppose. I guess it's. I guess it is more realistic to drag a bank vault around. But uh, I don't know. The 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 tensile strength of anything the universe has ever made is not enough to to carry something around on ropes like that. Look, I I'm with you 
in in a way that this is a ridiculous and frankly impossible to believe scenario. But there's a lot of impossible to believe scenarios in these movies. So I just I just view that they happen in some other universe where stuff's just cooler. I think at point at one point in this in this trailer they had like a bionic soldier, and I'm just like, all right, guys, like re- relax, like we don't need to have like in inanimate objects in this like we just don't like we, like like th- this is not a superhero movie like i i know we're, we're getting really superhero ish but we don't have to make it that way i have some bad news for you it's always been superheroes ever since dom's living one quarter mile at a time he's been a superhero and they've all been heroes this is the, this is the avengers but for cars and that's just where it's at that's bu- uh, that, that's that's a real bummer that's a real bummer <laughs> um so let's go, let's go ahead and talk about this series, shall we? So the Rockets have absolutely obliterated the Utah Jazz. They, they just have. They just they uh, just absolutely obliterated the, the Utah Jazz. Uh, what was that for us? Well, it is possible the Rockets uh, could have scored four more points over one of those games to tie the Bucks for biggest uh, biggest total lead in a playoff series. That's sure. the only thing I can think to say about it, which is an effusive praise. I'm thoroughly impressed by what the Rockets have done these past these first couple games. Uh, you know, the talk going to the playoffs was how the Rockets got the hardest possible path to a title and how they really screwed themselves in that last OKC game by falling to the four seed. And while that still might be true, we don't know. All Houston's, all Houston's technically done is protect home court at this point. But I said on the last podcast, if Houston wanted to show that they were a legitimate title contender... They would go into game one and blow out the Utah Jazz. They would say, screw everyone that says this was going to be a close series. We're still the greatest threat to the Warriors in the West, and we don't care what our path to a title will be. Not only did they do that, but they did, they, they did that twice. And I got to say, I, I'm beyond impressed. Yeah, uh, they have looked fantastic. Now... There is some talk about, well, the, the, the Jazz role players are not shooting very well. Their three-point percentage is pretty ugly, given the quality of looks they're getting. It should even out somewhat. Uh, and that may be the case, but even if it does, it's not going to make up for this 52-point deficit that the Rockets have put the Jazz into. Uh, I There is every reason to believe that if the Rockets put their heads down, they can go ahead and win Game 3 in this series tomorrow. Did you see? Well, first of all, you're 100 percent right about the three point shooting from the Jazz. Like that's definitely going to normalize out, especially when they go to Utah. They're much better at, in Utah than they are on the road. That's a legitimate home court advantage, um, and a lot of that stuff's going to even out. You're right, and, and to some extent, the Rockets perhaps uh, got the worst possible version of the Utah Jazz they possibly could, and in that respect, they might have been lucky. Um, but did, did you see this thing? By the way, uh, so. A friend of mine sent me this clip in the morning that, like, Shaq called Joe, Ing- Joe Ingles a non-shooter on TNT. <laughs> like, did, did, yeah, it's hilarious. Did, did you see that? Like, like I, I had to rewind. I had to rewind it. It was it was pretty early in the morning when that when I got that text. I was like, okay, this is this is just this must be Chuck. This must be someone. Else. I think so. Chuck was actually defending Joe Ingles. Like, Shaq called Joe Ingles a non-three point. Like, what? Like, what? Is it just his height? I don't understand it. The weird thing is, like, the stereotype is that, like, you know, he's the, one of the, the best the three-point shooters in the shoot. NBA. Yeah. Like, yeah, what? if you pay attention to anything, or even if you pay attention to like the stereotypes about like you know overseas guys coming over, you'd think that he'd be a good shooter. I don't know where Shaq is pulling this from. It's totally 
totally baseless. Like, it doesn't even make any sense as far as just not paying attention. Uh, who knows, man? Shaq, uh, Shaq gets paid to go up there and be Shaq, so I guess he's doing his job. Yeah, all I ask is, like, the talking heads of the NBA, just watch, like, two NBA games a week. That's it. Just watch two. Like, and not the ones that you that you have to watch for your TV tapings. Watch two <laughs> other NBA games a week. Like, that's it. That's all I ask. Because, like, anybody with just the rudimentary knowledge of the NBA would know that Joe Ingles is one of the best three-point shooters we have in this league. Like, to, to suggest that he's a non-three-point shooter is one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard on NBA on TNT. Like, and I've heard some ridiculous things on that show. But yeah, some of that three-point stuff's going to normalize. Let's, let's talk about how they've defended James Harden, because that's really been a major storyline going into the playoffs. So we know where the genesis of this came from, right? Like, this came from the Bucks uh, doing this earlier in the year to Harden, where they would defend Harden from behind with Eric Bledsoe and force him right and funnel him to uh, their big men, which at the time was Brook Lopez, and Brook Lopez would meet him square up at the rim, at the rim, and it would force Harden to shoot floaters. And Harden's not as efficient on floaters as he is on any other shot in the NBA, even though he's gotten better at that. Um, that that that's still something that other teams would take. So th- that's essentially the strategy in a nutshell. The the Jazz took it to like a totally different. Like they're basically giving him a wide open pathway to the rim. Like, they're essentially saying, go ahead. This right side of the floor is yours. You can take a full head of steam down to the rim, find as many shooters as you want. Like, that's the other thing. The the Jazz aren't even closing out on Houston's corner three-point shooters well. Like, the Rockets have feasted on corner three-pointers. Like, P.J. Tucker is getting open corner three-pointer after open corner three-pointer in this series. Um and Harden, and that's a, a large part of that is because Harden's getting a, a full head of steam to the rim, going to the right side of the floor, and finding these open shooters. And like, I just don't think the Jazz have the personnel to, to, to do this. I just don't. Like the the Bucks are an extremely athletic team, and not to suggest that Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell or, or any of those guys are unathletic. Like they just, it's just a different level of athlete that you're dealing with when you're talking about Eric Bledsoe and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like Giannis is athletic enough to help on those hardened drives and and come back over to those shooters. Like and Eric Bledsoe is athletic enough to give Harden a runway without giving him a, an entire runway. Like he's he, he's not gonna give him a wide open rim. Like I'm sorry, Ricky Rubio is an awesome defender. He can't do what Eric Bledsoe can do. <laughs> He just can't, and I love Ricky Rubio. He's one of my favorite defenders in the league. He's an awesome, awesome perimeter defender. He's just not Eric Bledsoe. He's just not. He's not the same level of athlete he is, and I understand what Quinn Snyder is trying to do here. I just don't think they have the personnel to do it right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's correct. They don't have the same personnel. Um, I have mixed feelings on this, though, because I think that this is a total failure and has completely been a bad choice for them so far. Uh, I also think it might not matter. Like, if they if they played them straight up, I don't know if this would be going much better, right? Like, it, I mean, you'd think it would be going better. Uh, well, there's not really much worse it could go, but I don't think they win the games in either way, honestly. What is straight up? Uh, not hanging out behind James Harden, <laughs> defending okay, so uh, th- corner that, shooters. Does that include a hard trap or a double team, or is it, like, is it just straight up one-on-one, we're going to switch everything? Is, is that what you're saying? Like The switching is probably, I don't know, try switching, see if that works. 
not this not this incredible shade. I mean, that's the way what we're talking about, right? Is that yeah, like yeah. instead of instead of trying to do like you know icing or trapping or something, they're just playing this like they're shading him all the way back to his left to like honestly behind him. And then on top of that, they're also that's letting like shooters get open. Now, I think that leaving Houston's shooters open is weirdly not the worst plan in the world. Uh, yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, they're, yeah, we talked about like, they're not the best shooters. Yeah, and they and they go cold sometimes, right? Like if you find a situation where Houston's other shooters, other than James Harden, are going cold. Then you can kind of ignore them, and then you can collapse your defense, and you can keep them from the rim, and then you have a good chance against them. But that's to some degree admitting that you don't actually control what's going to happen because you just have to hope that they get cold. Uh, but so far, it's been one of the better ways to beat them. So I don't know. I don't know that the Jazz really have an option that's going to work against the Rockets, honestly. So I, this has been a horrible failure, but I don't know that anything's not going to be a horrible failure. So I mean, I guess be creative with it. And the other thing is, like, Harden's getting lobs, too. Like, they haven't shut off the lob passes. Like, and part of it is because you you, you kind of have to help out with Harden at the rim. And that leaves, an, like, Rudy Gobert has to leave Clint Capella open for these dunks. And that just, like, if you're leaving shooters open on top of lob passes, like, you're just cratering yourself as a defense. And this is the second best defense in the NBA. Like... The fact that Harden's doing carving up this defense is be is just insane. Like it's it, it's you would think someone like Quinn Snyder would come up with a better game plan than this. And I actually don't think the the premise of this theory, like of, of this of this game plan, is is all that you know is all that bad. Like I I understand the idea of shading Harden right and um, funneling him. Like I get that and, and try to take away the step back three. I get it, but. At some point, like you gotta scrap it, right? Like if once you realize, okay, this is just this isn't working out for us. Like even Ricky Rubio, like he told us in the press conference room, like yeah, like we're not one hundred percent bought in. Well, hold on, hold on there. That's a, that's a big red flag. If your players aren't one hundred percent bought in on the strategy, at some point you just gotta go back to what you were doing all season. Yeah, and sort of uh, continuing to try it with it not working is not a good look. That's a big problem. Is if they just if they keep like part, if they if they really double down on it, maybe something interesting could happen. And maybe they feel like they're in a situation where they just have to do that, right? Like, it seem my read on the situation is that it feels like the Jazz decided that any type of a non gimmick defense is just not going to work, and they have to go for incredibly high variance. They have to they have to shoot for the moon because they. They decide they already screwed if they just play the Rockets as they've played them previously, which is amazing, honestly, if that's the case, because that's this is an incredible defense, and them to and for them to decide the best chance they have is to kind of shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, that's that speaks quite a bit about Houston and James Harden in particular. So I don't I don't know what we're gonna see tomorrow in Game Three. I think there's a very good chance, like I'll put it at least even money that they're gonna not only stick to this weird defense they've been doing. But double down on it. I think they either totally drop it or they double down on it. I suspect they drop it because I just think Harden has so many counters for what they like. By the way, did you at all think that we get to a place like after the James Harden trade like at the at the time of the James Harden trade? Did you ever think that we get to a point where you'd see guys just giving him an open lane, like just a <laughs> wide open lane, and try these gimmicky defenses against him to try and and just try to do something? Try to do something. 
to slow him down. He's, he's the greatest offensive genius we've seen in, like, decades. This yeah. guy is incredible. He He's going to kill you no matter what you do, and the only question is, like, can you can you beat them before he beats you? Uh, so I, I, if they do go ahead and move away from this, this gimmick defense completely, that is wild to me because essentially that is bringing the series back to zero to say, okay, we're gonna not have any of our adjustments, I guess. We're gonna go back to sta- we're gonna go to standard defense, uh, and then you're gonna go back to playing your standard game, I guess. And that's that's crazy. You have to like you have to assume that if both teams come into this like playing the normal game as though they didn't play the first two games, which those two games have such a weird defensive situation that I feel like any adjustments anybody made are moot. Then how can you? It's it's hard to expect the Jazz to go ahead and win that if they both just come into it playing straight up. So. Uh, the Rockets have a real opportunity to go into Game Three, and they can end this. And I, I would not be surprised at all to see them do that because this is a weird situation for a series. The Jazz feel desperate to me, and they better be. They have to get this win. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's get back to Houston really quick because we, we've talked enough about the Jazz. I, I, I think they're going to play better at home. Like I, I think, I think for that home crowd with the altitude, I think, I think they're going to play better. Uh, It'll for sure be the toughest game for Houston yet. Yeah, and they're fighting for their playoff lives. Everybody knows that if you if you go down three, you're not you're not winning the series. That's never happened in NBA history. So this is essentially Utah's game seven, right? So um, I I think this is going to be a hell of a game three. I think it's going to be much closer. Uh, at the same time, I've done a pretty terrible job predicting the series. Um, <laughs> every step of the way, game one I thought it was going to be a five point game. Game two I thought it was going to be like a six or seven point game. Like every time I try to predict this this series. It goes the other way. Like, like they've been, particularly defensively. Houston's defense just looks so sharp right now, and um, we were talking about this before we got into the playoffs. Like, how how much of Houston's defense do you buy? And I was having a like, I, I was a minor skeptic, man. Like, I was like, I was having a hard time uh, computing their defensive rebounding, how poorly they were as a defensive rebounding team compared to how well they were defending. And I was, I just thought it was a lot of noise, and I was, I wasn't sure how much I should believe, like because they essentially changed their entire defensive philosophy, philosophy from we're gonna play like a normal defense, we're gonna defensive rebound, we're gonna switch everything to we're not gonna switch as much, uh, we're not gonna defensive rebound as much, we're gonna get a lot, we're gonna get instead of getting defensive rebounds, we're gonna get a ton of deflections, and we're gonna we're gonna be a much more fast core team we're, we're going to get a lot more transition buckets and i was like i'm not sure if that going into the playoffs if that's the wisest move i'm not sure how many deflections you'll get in the playoffs because teams start tend to isolate more and there's less side to side ball movement but here we are first round and the rockets are killing them in transition they're getting a ton of deflections chris paul looks as good as he's ever looked defensively like i made the case earlier in the year that i think chris paul should be second team all defense like even with all the games missed i thought like the biggest turnaround for houston defensively was when he got healthy like when he got healthy houston's defense went from 25th to 18th like that was the jump they made in the span of the of when he got healthy post star star break now you could say other guys got healthy too like Clint capella obviously got healthy um austin rivers got healthy a bunch of guys got healthy but at the same time, like I think the biggest difference for Houston's defense, like Chris Paul, man, Chris Paul has been everywhere in this series defensively. He's he's 
just been a pest. Like offensively, he's still working out some kinks. He's not been as efficient as efficient as you'd like if you're Houston. But he Houston hasn't needed much from him offensively because they've just torched this defense without him. Now there is a real question as to whether that's whether or not that's sustainable going into a Warriors series next round. But so far, so good. Yeah, uh, I agree. I guess so. The, what's impressive is that raising your defensive rating the farther the season gets gets harder and harder because the like the future sample size gets smaller in comparison to the past sample size. So uh, the fact that they're able to raise that much at all is incredible. Like I mean, like look at this. It t- it took them having the number two defense since the All Star break to raise it up to what like was what it end up at like fifteen, sixteen, something like that. Yeah, they were eighteenth. Okay, yeah, so we're, they had to be the second-best defense for, like, a couple of months to raise it up to still below below the halfway mark. So that's fantastic. Their defense as it stands today is really impressive. Like you said, they're they're getting their deflections. They're running out on fast breaks, which just craters the other team's defense also, which is they're, incredible. They're scoring <laughs> 16 points per game on transition. Like, that, that's, that's, that's insane. That's, uh, that's, like, pretty much – do you remember that Josh Smith-Corey Brewer Rockets team? Where yes, uh, they, <laughs> yes, where I do. They they were like one of the fastest teams in the NBA, and they got like a crap load of deflections because Brewer was always constantly gambling in the in the passing lanes and and get and uh, leaking out like, and getting like a, like a bunch of fast break opportunities. Like that's what this team reminds me of in terms of how they play defense. Like they don't play defense like a normal team. Like they again they completely abandoned switching everything. They still switch a lot, but they play much more conventional in that way and at the same time they don't defensive rebound it's very it's a very unique hodgepodge of strategies that they've that they've managed to cluster here to be this good defensively yeah and so far they're not they're not getting their asses kicked on the rebounding game which uh is pretty impressive given the size that utah has yeah 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 so being able to tread water rebounding wise makes their defense that much more viable, which is a huge deal. Uh, like I said, I don't know how this is going to go. How it's going to go going forward? The Jazz do have a shakier offense than a lot of teams. Uh, their corner and overall three point shooting is kind of suspect. So the Rockets have some like holes that they can uh, that they can rely upon in Utah's offense that they might not have have against other teams going forward. But uh, so far, they've made the they look great against the Jazz, who are a very good team, who are like the 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 advanced metrics darlings of the NBA. No, yeah, like I one hundred percent believe that the Jazz are one of the five best teams in the NBA. They just got a crappy, crappy first round draw. Like with the amount of things that had to go wrong, and we always talk about this in the press room. Like I, I feel so bad for this Jazz team. Like the amount of things that had to go wrong. Uh, you 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 had four fourth quarter deficits of ten points or more. That flipped the other way in the last quarter, like that. that that's in, like they all, all that stuff happened in the span of two nights, and all you need is for one of those games to not happen the, that way. That that's that's just like they could not have had a crappier draw. Of the, like this is a this is a second round, possibly conference finals team in any normal NBA year. The fact that they've ended up on this side of the bracket is just a fluke of happenstance. Like the, this is not this was not supposed to happen. Uh, and I feel I feel really bad for the Jazz because they're they're a much better team than not only uh, what what their standing suggests, like what they were last year. They're much better than the way they were last year. And if you want, if if you just look at them getting eliminated in the first round, you wouldn't think that, but it's true. It's one hundred percent true. 
I mean, playoffs are all about matchups and context. So, I mean, it seems like it's a good a time to bring it up is that these Rockets look incredible. They look like they've really put it together and figured out and done what they said they were going to do toward you know, earlier in the year, which is that they care about being the best team they can be in April and May. So this this is not fair for anyone to draw the Rockets in the first round. Like the Rockets should be playing like an eighth seed tier team. Honestly, they're not. They should be playing the Clippers or the Spurs, right? Yeah, they're not a 53-win team. The Rockets are clearly not a 53-win team at this point. Uh, the advent of Daniel House has been just... It's hard to state how important that's been for them to have this guy that they can that they can actually rely upon. Like, we, we wondered all year who's going to be their replacement for Trevor Reese, and it turns out it's Daniel House. Yeah, uh, Daniel House, not afraid of the playoffs, uh, not afraid of the big bright <laughs> lights. Uh, that guy has been doing everything he's been doing in the regular season. Uh, like, he's been pump faking he's been driving he's been shooting uh shots he should not be taking which which is part of the appeal of house he just has a high degree of confidence to him and that confidence isn't just on the basketball court off the court that guy is a confident fella um that guy really believes he made the right decision in gambling on himself and not taking the offer that houston presented to him you're right he's been a stellar pickup for houston and i gotta be honest like both of these coaches kind of threw a threw a curveball at me uh, in terms of what I was expecting for them in the, this first round series. Like I did not. First of all, let's start with the Jazz. I did not expect the Jazz to go ahead and start favors. Like I, I, I just thought like they're gonna start Jay Crowder. Like there, there's no way they would. They're gonna start a traditional big lineup against the Rockets, and they did. They started a traditional big lineup against the Rockets, and I actually liked that look because I think it gives them the best chance to win because I think Houston's biggest weakness is defensive rebounding, and the best way to attack them is to offensive rebound. So I like the big lineup, but it hasn't worked out for, for, the, for the Jazz, obviously. And in terms of Houston, man, I did not see... I did not see Gerald Green and Kenneth Fareed getting minutes over Iman Shumpert and Nene. Like, I, I, I thought for sure Iman Shumpert would play over Gerald Green, and it wouldn't even be much of a question. Same thing with Nene over Kenneth Fareed. That, just looked, that, that, just, that was just the way it was looking towards the end of the season. But Mike D'Antoni threw a big curveball at us, and we're left to look at a rotation of Chris Paul, James Harden, PJ Tucker, Clint Capella, Gerald Green, Daniel House, and Kenneth Fareed. Like that, and Austin Rivers, obviously. Like, I thought the the bottom half of this rotation would be totally different, and it's because D'Antoni just wants that lob threat on the, on the floor at all times. Like he wants Kenneth Fareed to be on the floor uh, as well as Clint Capella. He wants someone there to be an outlet for Hugh, for James Harden's lobs, and he wants the maximum amount of shooting on the floor as possible. And when it gets, when he actually, like Iman Shepard's been a break in case of emergency wing. Like if it gets really dicey for Houston defensively, that's when Iman Shepard plays. I didn't expect that. I thought he would be a mainstay in the rotation. Has that at all surprised you? Like, I remember we, we got this question before the playoffs actually started. Like who's, who plays Gerald Green or Iman? We both said Iman. And this kind of threw me off like crazy. Yeah, I suspected that it would be him for his defense, and then they, they pull Gerald out in case of need of offense. But yeah, it turns out that they're happy to let Gerald go out there. And honestly, it hasn't been a problem yet. We'll see if that keeps up, but Gerald Green has been really good with that bench unit for just providing, well, it's it's it's, it's pretty uh, cliche to say it, but he provides energy and shooting out there. And he gets that, he gets that bench unit going, uh, together with typically Chris Paul, so... It's been a good look. Uh, Fareed has been able to really like run the court as well, and that's I think, I think in in a lot of ways that matter to D'Antoni, Fareed is closer to Capella than Nene is. Uh, 
Because even though even though Farid's defense leaves quite a bit to be desired, uh, he's a lob threat, like you said, and he runs the court in a way that Capella has has been doing to some degree of uh, less notice than it should have. That he Capella is running down the court constantly. He is a lot faster than he's been before, and more importantly, he's a lot more willing to be the first guy down the court. So both those guys provide that in a way which I think has been really difficult for the Jazz to deal with. Yeah, like, like again, like I just thought. D'Antoni's going to go with the defensive guys. And Nene and Shumpert are much better defenders than Gerald Green and Kenneth Farid. But so far, he hasn't needed that level of defense against this Jazz team. And I guess I guess the idea here is we're going to go offense, offense, offense like, until a team forces us to, to go defense. And to be honest, they're I mean, they're playing great defense. It's not it's not like they're sacrificing mu- yeah. m- much in the, in the way of defense. Like, they, they're... Absolutely killing the, the Jazz, as we said multiple times throughout this podcast. Like they have the third best defense in the playoffs. Only the Celtics and the Bucks have been better than them. And offensively, they have the second best def- they have the second best offense in the NBA. Like they're beating team, they're beating the Jazz by twenty six and a half points per one hundred possessions. That's ridiculous, man. Like that that's that's just ludicrous. Like only the Bucks have a higher point differential. Who are playing a Pistons team that shouldn't even be in the playoffs without Blake Griffin. Like, like the like the the Rockets have have been just so good, just so good. I, I I'm buying as much stock as I can in this team. Like I like I'm 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 back in on buying the stock. Like I'm in because the the way they've defended is just like they're communicating on a level that I didn't see them doing going into the playoffs. And they're the defensive rebounding, as you mentioned, has not been a problem. It has not been a problem. And and you would think. If there was a team that would give Houston problems, it would be this Utah Jazz team because on the boards they have guys who can give Houston trouble, and they, it so far it hasn't. So far they've been carrying their way up their own weight on on the on the boards, and they've just dominated, just dominated this series. Yeah, uh, it's weird because there's actually it feels like we're waiting to have any real criticism so far, right? They've done everything that uh, that they could have possibly done to convince us that they're legit. They're, they're dominating this five seed and incredibly good. They're, the Jazz are a very good team, as we said earlier. And I mean, they are just, Forrest, didn't you pick the Rockets to win in seven games? Like, wasn't that your pick? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was my safety pick because I was like, I don't know which Rockets we're going to get. But I picked six I games. Like, like we, <laughs> we, we both had a high degree of respect for this Jazz team. Uh, I feel like we know which team we're getting now, though. That's the big thing. What the needed answer was... What are the which Rockets team is going to show up in the playoffs? And so far, it is the best possible Rockets team. So uh, I want to wait until like this series is more over than this. But so they're on track to give us a whole lot to talk about between series, assuming they go ahead and close this one out. Right. Like I agree. Like we need to see more fleshed out. Right. Like because uh, again, the series isn't over. They haven't played on the road yet, and. Until they close it out, it's really hard to say concretely that they are legitimately the best team in the playoffs because they played like the best team in the playoffs. Um, it's it's pretty hard to concretely say that until they finish off this Jazz team. But everything we've seen so far has been encouraging. And um, I want to I want to I want to ask you a question. So this has been talked about a lot. Like and frankly, it's been kind of pounded into the ground a little bit this past week. Like, do you think? playing the Warriors in round two is better than playing the Warriors in the conference finals. I think I even asked you this on the last podcast, but things are different. We've seen this Rockets team uh, play 
dominant basketball and restful basketball. Like Harden and Chris Paul aren't even breaking much sweat here. Like they're playing like Harden's playing 33 minutes a game here. Chris Paul is playing like 31, 32. So they're getting decent rest here in this series. So do you, with all that in mind, with everything you've seen, do you think that the Rockets have actually put themselves in a position to go into a Warrior series fresher and better than they were last year? Uh, they've got a better shot now than they like. Assuming that both those teams go ahead and win their series, they've got, they've got a better shot now than if they play them in the conference finals. As I said, the the math has always been: what are the chances that the Warriors lose elsewhere? Right? If you are if you know that you're 100 percent gonna have to play the Warriors, then you do want to get them earlier than later if you're the Rockets. Uh, so it's probably especially because this jet if they can go out and get another win if they win tomorrow and they and this is a 3-0 series they have a really good shot at like a it's over at that point like no series no one's ever come back from 3-0 and i doubt anyone ever will so if you can go ahead and put the clamps on them and 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 get that 3-0 lead then you can kind of stop stressing out about this series and start to prepare a little bit for going forward. And our you guy prob- Kelly Eco can stop sweating out about playing another game six in Utah. Like, he doesn't want to go back there at all. <laughs> he does not want to go back there at all. Apparently not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if they can, I mean, in that case, also get a really good chance of winning in four games, go ahead and getting a sweep. These games have been pretty far apart as well, <clears throat> so the players are getting more rest. If they go ahead and win this series quickly, they're not going to be in a better situation to deal with the Warriors because they're going to be at basically max health and max rest. Like, knock on wood, God forbid something happens over the next couple of games. Uh, so it's this right now, You, I don't think you could have predicted that this would be what happened. No, no. But most this didn't. currently is, seems quite good. Right. I, I mean, mo- again, most people thought this would be a six or seven game series, including us. Uh, this, <laughs> this, is, this has gone as good as you'd want if you're a Rockets fan. Let's talk about DeMarcus Cousins a little bit because I talked about this on this last Periscope that we did before the game, and I, I kind of posed this question to Ali Khan, and I'm, I'm not sure what you think about this. Like, d- Does DeMarcus Cousins and, and the timing of his quad injury, which really sucks for DeMarcus, by the way. Uh, guy was just getting healthy from his Achilles, started to look pr- pretty decent for the Warriors, and this quad injury happens to him going into free agency that's that sucks i really feel bad for him do you think this quad injury for demarcus um makes much of a difference for in a houston rocket series and does this hurt or help the warriors get to where they want to be in a rocket series i actually think this helps the warriors a little bit and i don't think that cousins was going to be a uh, a useful player for them against houston and against some other teams too uh I think they honestly look a little better without him. Uh, so I, and maybe that's not a, like a nice thing to say about about Demarcus Cousins, but he's not the same player he used to be. And also, he is really just like he he's like a he's like a scoop of ice cream on a scoop of ice cream. It's not really necessary, and he's he's not always going to be a good fit. So I think that making you're them saying play... I can't have two scoops of ice cream now. <laughs> okay, look, it's a bit of a torture metaphor, but. Uh... You know, I'm saying that you're putting sprinkles on your sprinkle. You're, that's icing on your icing. How's that sound? Uh, but uh, so I like it, icing, man. I, 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 okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> he's he doesn't, I think, raise their ceiling particularly, or rather, I guess he doesn't raise their average. He might raise their ceiling, but I don't think he raises their average. Uh, I think the more they play like the Warriors they were a few years ago, uh, aka the Warriors before Kevin Durant came by, the more likely they are to have an easier time. So. Uh, I 
think it might help them slightly, and I definitely don't think it really hurts them at all. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. Like I, I I do think the Warriors are better without Demarcus Cousins. I think I mean even their numbers bear out that they're better without Demarcus Cousins. Their I mean their core five is Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, um, Andre Iguodala, right? Like like and Clay Thompson. Like th- that's their five. Like their core five is still intact. Like Demarcus, sure, him not being on the floor takes away a tool in a possible Rocket series, and he did play well against the Rockets in that last game. I'm not sure if I totally buy that he would have been that good in a in a seven game series. Like I, I, I just I, again, he's just coming off the Achilles. I don't think he can defend in space against the Rockets, and I think the Rockets would have put put him in the torture chamber. I think Steve Kerr would have benched him by game three. Like, like I, I really do think that he was a non-factor in a Rocket series, if not a detriment to the Warriors. Now, now I feel like it's a little bit more of an even playing field in that the Warriors don't have to worry about DeMarcus Cousins but potentially being a black hole for their defense. I think Kevon Looney is actually much better against the Rockets than any other big man, any, any other big man that the Warriors can throw out there. So I think Kevon Looney and Draymond Green are really the centers that really matter for the Warriors in a possible Rocket series. I don't think any other... Big man really matters. I agree. I I think this is going to make little to no difference in a series. If anything, this will probably make the Warriors a little bit better. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I, I I'm interested to see how that goes. This Warriors team is giving us a uh, a lot to think about so far. Yeah. So. I don't want to I don't want to completely write off this Utah Jazz team. By the way, like I know we're talking we're talking through them kind of like we're talking about the next series for Houston, but like. It just looks really dark, and maybe we can. We'll be back here in four days, and the Jazz will make this thing a series. But I think at at at, at this point in the series, we can safely say that Houston has a significant leg up and is a um, strong favorite to come out of this. And um, I, I I I just. I I feel bad that the Jazz had to go had to endure this. Jazz fans uh, had a lot to endure towards the end of the season. They started the season really poorly. They much like the Rockets, and they they ended it really strong. Had a nice closing schedule for them, and uh, they ha- they drew Houston in the first round. That just sucks. Yeah, uh, the series is not over, but it's it's over. It's close to being over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the. Like I said, if the if the Rockets win Game Three, it's definitely over. Even if the Rockets lose Game Three and they win Game Four, it's still pretty pretty damn close to over. So uh, it's hard not to look past the Jazz a little bit. Uh, I think it's worth still paying attention to this series until it is well and truly over. But yeah, you're right. Uh, it sucks for them. They deserve better than this. They are better than a fifth seed, honestly, and the Rockets are better than a fourth seed. So this is not a lineup. That, this is not a matchup you should be seeing in round one. This is a matchup you should be seeing in round two or three. Yeah, overall, I would say this series has definitely changed the way I thought about the Rockets. Uh, like, I, I definitely respect them a lot more. Like, the, they, they've gained a high degree of respect for me, the way they've taken care of business in these first two games. Um, so it, it's definitely an important thing that we had to see in these first two games. It's definitely not nothing that the Rockets star the series like this it, we, we've take we've taken a lot of data out of this and a lot of a, a lot of things that the Rockets have proved us to be wrong about and uh the, the, that's that's great if you're a Rockets fan uh so subscribe to the podcast on iTunes Google Play and Stitcher follow me on Twitter at SoModelyNBA follow Forrest at Twitter at do not how do you spell that Forrest it's D-U-N-O-T-S and give us a five star rating on iTunes because it helps you find the show.
And yeah, guys. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials. One device included.